happens when you get close to Jesus? How does it change your life? What if you could talk to someone who lived with him, who was one of his closest friends? What would they say? We're going to find out together as we study the book of 1 John. Good morning, good morning. Welcome to Milestone Church. My name is Chris. I'm the campus pastor here at Milestone McKinney. As Pastor Nick said, we know it's someone's first time each and every week. That's a big deal to us. If I hadn't had an opportunity to meet you, I look forward to meeting you after service. So thank you for joining us this morning. Well, we're continuing our series called Overcoming Plus love, and uh, I want to take some time just before we get into this, just to celebrate a couple of things. You know, uh, you've heard about small groups. You're going to be hearing more and more about small groups, and I think about the significance and the power of small groups. It's not just to have groups. Uh, it's not just to gather together. Small groups is really where you begin to experience spiritual family. It's where life change happens. It's where you grow. And I keep coming back to probably the last couple of weeks. Uh, I've, it really impacted me. You know, I have an opportunity to talk with you in between services and I get to hear your stories. And a couple of weeks back, it was on the back end of Victory Weekend where, uh, or Freedom Weekend, where we've got freedom groups that happen through the summer for nine weeks. Then they come together for a weekend at our Keller campus. And uh, there was one group that had been meeting here, a group of ladies, and they'd been meeting for nine weeks. That's a long time. And God was doing so much work. And I can remember after the first service, it was the Sunday after Freedom Weekend, Aaron came up to me and she was standing in the middle and she was telling me how it was at Freedom Weekend that she gave her life to Christ. And it was amazing. Yeah, I want to celebrate with Aaron. And, and all those that were impacted. And what was so exciting was it wasn't just Aaron was sharing her story with me. But I had her small group leader coming up and telling me. I had others that had prayed with her coming up and telling me. That's the significance. And I want you to know, listen, as a small group leader, you're not a facilitator. You're the hero. Like, I love it. Like, like I love when people are like, Pastor Chris, your message, it was okay. But my small group leader, they're awesome. That's a win for me. I just want you to know. That may be different than what you're used to. It's not about the person on the platform. It's you making a difference in people's lives. And that's what Jesus has called us into. And so I'm excited about small groups kicking off, them getting started, you leading a group, you being a part of a group, you inviting other people to be a part of a group. Can I tell you, there's some people, before they ever walk into these doors, they might walk into your front door or your friend's front door. Before they ever come and partake of the coffee here, They'll partake of the coffee at your house, and they may just may meet Jesus and grow in the relationship with him in your home because of the difference you make. And small groups is just an exciting time. It's where you grow. It's where you build relationship, and so it's amazing. And then uh, today, again, you're going to hear more about that. This morning, we have a special morning. It's uh, Teacher Appreciation Weekend. We're going to be praying for our teachers. I got a gift. We have a gift for you. Yeah, I love teachers. And so it's going to be a special morning, and we'll pray for them uh, at the end of service. When I think about teachers, you know, it's, it's unique. My mom was a teacher. And so there was always times where, I, you know, at one season, you think, that's fun. Like, I don't know any, you know, maybe there's some kids in here. Your mom is an educator. So I appreciate teachers. I'm grateful. Uh, it is a calling, not a 
job. I mean, you go above and beyond. My mom taught for 40 years. That's a long time, okay? And so I can remember it was always great because, you know, I got to, like, I didn't have to ride the bus, you know, I didn't have to do all that stuff other kids had to do. I got to ride with my mom, you know, when we went to, when I was in elementary, she taught like fourth grade. So it's, I felt powerful. And, and again, it's like most kids, you know, you may even see our children or staff kids that kind of run around here like, you know, this is their home, you know. That's what I, I'd run around the element, Pleasant Hill Elementary. I'd run around that school like I owned it, man. And I'm just like, I'm the, I'm the big man on campus. Let's go. I was about eight years old, though, and I didn't know any different. But there was one little caveat that was really always a problem. Because sometimes, I know you find this hard to believe. I was a little mischievous sometimes, you know. I know it's hard to believe. I mean, you're like, Pastor Chris, you're just so, you know, just kind of, you know, by the book or what have you. Now, I was, I was a little bit of a mess, you know, just kind of like all over the place. And so the problem was this is, you know, most of the time when you get in trouble at school, what do they do? They send you where? To the principal's office. Can I tell you, I wish I would have been sent to the principal's office. Because when I got in trouble, they didn't take me to the principal's office. You know where they took me? My mama's classroom. That was far worse than the principal's office. So I learned real quick, I've got, I've got to dial in and, and I've got to make sure that, listen, I've got to be on my best behavior because I don't want to go to my mom's classroom. Because that's when, that's, when, that's when you hear the phrase, just wait till your father gets home. I'm like, oh my goodness, this ain't going well. So teachers, we're going to honor you in just a little bit. But I think about that. I think about the things you experience when you're young and, and things change. I shared with you last week when we're looking in 1 John, and you can open up your Bibles, 1 John chapter 5. We're going to get there in just a minute. But just by way of review, I want to share with you just some things when you think about last week and, and kind of setting up. Last week was a lot of, I gave you just a big, broad uh, uh, just brushstroke of what John is writing about here. John was one of the best friends of Jesus. He walked with Jesus. He experienced life. He saw things firsthand. So the things that he's sharing is not hyperbole. It's not just, you know, theory to him. He has lived it and experienced it. Firsthand knowledge. And, and he's writing, he's part of a very significant church. It was actually a church in Ephesus, and he was, a, he was a part of that church. Paul started the church. Timothy was a leader of the church. But John, at one point, would then become the pastor of the church. So John kind of had this pastoral lens that he operated out of. He had a view pastorally for people and, and his heart for people. And, and he's speaking here to this group of people, and they're going through challenging times. Significant moments. Again, <clears throat> times that maybe you've been in, you think about at this time, the temple had been destroyed. False teachers had come in. People were scattered all over the place. They didn't know up or down. They didn't know which way to go. Very similar to when you think about a global pandemic that people experienced over the last previous years, going, what do I do? How do I adapt? All these things. So I want you to recognize you can relate to some of the things that John is talking about here. It's not just for then. It's things you're still navigating now. And so John is writing here, and we talked about how there's this, this process. He, he's going round and round, and, and we talked about how the book is not like kind of outlining the book. is a little more challenging because he's circular in how he communicates. He goes round and round about this principle and this topic, and he lays the foundation. And he keeps going back to this phrase. He says, I want you to make my joy complete. And then he tells us how. How do we make his joy complete? So there's this joy there's this overcoming that he wants us to experience. But the overarching theme of the book and the overarching theme that he kept trying to communicate to us is this theme of love. 
That love is this over, the, the love of God, God's love for us. Our love for him, our love for others. God's love is what will help us move from joy to overcoming. This love is the overarching theme. So last week we learned and he's talking about what it looks like to overcome. But this week, and this is what we're going to talk about this week. What does it look like to be an overcomer? How how do we live that way? What do we do? And and when I think about when you recognize it's the love of God, knowing who he is, who he's called us to be. It's, again, our love for him, his love for us, our love for others that motivates it, that moves us towards living and overcoming life. I'm reminded of this scripture. And, again, 1 John, there's a lot of scriptures in there that you may be familiar with. But as we've been talking about, we're looking at the entirety of the book of 1 John because I want us to get this theme. I love that we're able to unpack God's word together. So when we look at 1 John 4, 4, I love this verse. I pray this often. I stand upon it. I encourage people with this scripture. But 1 John 4, 4 is one that I want us to kind of let it be the launching pad, the starting point for where we're going today. It says, you dear children are from God and have overcome them. Because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. I love that. The one who's in you is greater than the one who's in the world. We're gonna, who is that one? We're going to look at that. What does that look like? And we're going to talk more about that. But what would it look like to live an overcoming life? What would it look like to live like this? What would it look like to understand what it looks like to overcome? Well, here's how I want us to think about it. Anything about overcoming. I don't know about you, there's, there's a guy in the church, they've moved from California, and, uh, and he's a surfer. I'm like, man, I wish I could be you. So we work out together, and, and you know, I just like, well, all right, you know, right now, he, he's young, and he's getting better, so he's going to be better than me before long, but he's got one on me, he can surf, and he looks like a surfer, and he's good at it. And then he found out there's like a, there, there's like a, they got a surfing place in Waco. That brother, he's like a, he's become a VIP member. He goes down there. So you think about surfing. It's like this wave that would crush you. He's learned how, how do I navigate that wave? And I just, you know, I just, I drown. I mean, that is hopeless. You know, like that little brother, he does not belong in the ocean. He belongs somewhere else, you know. But I want you to visualize it this way. When you think of, of overcoming, there's really two ways you live life. When you're overcoming, it's like riding that wave. Being over to be, being able to be on top of that wave versus where I think so many of us live, being overwhelmed. See, see, this is my friend. He 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 can overcome that wave. This is me. That, that's what I look like while I'm serving. It's just crushed, you know, just like those movies. You know that guy just, just spinning around. That's how we can feel in life, overwhelmed. We we all experience those things, but there's this both of these. That we see examples and what John is saying is, I want you to live an overcoming life. I want you to recognize you can be an overcomer. But what does it look like when when we're overwhelmed? Think about that. Think about like when you ask someone, hey, how are you doing? How are you doing? What what is most of the time we ask, hey, how's it going? How are you doing? Most people, what do we say? I was talking to a man earlier. We were talking just before, how's it going? Busy. We, We all were busy. We're busy. But here's what I've noticed. And this is how I see we become more and more overwhelmed and impacted by the things around us. It's moving from I'm just busy to, man, I, I mean, I'm busy, but I'm, I'm a little overwhelmed. I, I feel a little anxious. I've got this thing or that thing. I've got this job decision. I've got that job decision. And whatever season you're in, 
You know, I do a lot. I work a lot with men. I, I speak with men often. A couple of Bible studies that we navigate through. helping Because I have a passion to help men win and win where it matters most. And, and seeing them win and most of these men, I mean, you think about for you as men, you've got all these things that you're trying to navigate. The responsibilities at work, the responsibilities at home. Trying to be a, a spiritual leader. Your wife's like, I want you to be the spiritual head of our home. You're like... What does that mean? Like, do I have, do I, what is, I like spiritual, a spiritual leader, what do I do? All these things, I'm a mom, I'm a, I'm a dad, I'm doing all these things, what do I do? Moms, all the roles and responsibilities you carry. I mean, you're a consultant, you're a finance, you're, you're a CFO, CEO, you're COO. I mean, you're making it all happen. You got it all going on. And then you're running in your, in your lane, whether you're uh, 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 working at home or whether you're working from home, leading and building a business, whatever avenue, all the weight and the responsibility that you have. Think about what you're experiencing. Young people. I shared this last week. Young people have more pressure than they've ever had before. Perform, execute, get all the tests, do this, do that, get into the right school, this, that, all the performance things that you have to execute. Young people, college-age students, young adults, single, empty nesters, every one of us experience being overwhelmed in some form or fashion in every season of life. But, but make no mistake, being overwhelmed isn't just... Attached to challenges and hardship. Being overwhelmed could be the byproduct of something good. Navigating a new season. Navigating uh, a lot of new things coming together at one time. It could be an answer to prayer. I, I was speaking with a, with a man this past week. He, he's got all these new responsibilities and he's carrying all this weight. He's like, Pastor Chris, I, I, just, I need to be honest. Like, I'm a little overwhelmed. He, he doesn't have many avenues where he can communicate that. So he calls me. I know most of the time when he calls me, he's like, he's probably overwhelmed. Because most of the time I'm calling him. If he's calling me, he's like, 911, you know. And he was okay. But he's like, I, I'm feeling a little overwhelmed. And he's telling me. I said, well, what are you overwhelmed about? And he starts listing it. And I said, because I know him. I know his story. I said, well, didn't you pray for that? He's like, yeah, but I, exactly. Sometimes what you're feeling is being overwhelmed is an answer to your prayer. God, I want to grow. I want to lead more. God, I want, to, I want to stretch my faith. I want to know you more. I wish in my life and my 20 plus years of serving Jesus that I just, poof, I just woke up. And like all of a sudden, I, yeah, I just know him more. Just, I don't know how I know him. No, it's like I'm putting, and here's the challenging part. When you're growing and stretching your faith, it's not fun. It's not easy because you're having to do what is not natural to you. Lean on and depend on Jesus. He's leading you outside of yourself. So we all experience what it looks like to be overwhelmed, whether good or bad. But how do we navigate this as Christians? Because whether we realize it or not, whether you realize, you are in a season of any given moment potentially being overwhelmed. I shared with you last week, all of a sudden this, this, these things I was feeling, this fear and anxiety, like, which was a little new to me and, and, and not actually familiar to me. Over the summer, I'm like, God, what do I do? And I had to double down and lean into, God, I'm trusting in you. So what does that look like? How do we as Christians handle being and experiencing being overwhelmed and live life as overcomers? Well, John shares with us in 1 John 5, starting in verse 1, he says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. 
This is how we know, this is how we know that we love the children of God by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God to keep his commands and his commandments are not burdensome. So he says here, how do we know? Well, first off, we believe. This is not a mental assent. This is a, an understanding and a, it's not based on my opinion. It's not based on, oh, what's my truth? Live your truth. No, 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 no. It's I'm willing to stake my life on this. I'm anchored to this belief. That's what John is saying. And then he ties in this other principle here that's, that, that, that he kind of goes round and round about and talks about. Because he says 30 times within the book of 1 John, he says, to know. I want you to know. I want you to know. What does that word know mean? It means to experience, right? So he's saying, I want you to know. And he's saying, listen, this aspect, this principle, if you want to love God, obey his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. Meaning it's not going to overwhelm you. doesn't mean it's going to be easy. You know, sometimes they're like, well, let's do what's easy. Whatever happened to let's do what's right? Whatever happened to like, hey, this is the right thing to do. And I may be scared. It may be hard. I could be overwhelmed, but I can overcome because greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. This is what John is laying out. Now watch where he goes. Verse 4. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? <clears throat> Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Again, there's that word belief. It's this trust. I know and I trust in God. He's going to lead me. He's going to guide me. But he gives this unique scenario. I want us to look here. He talks about a couple of things. He says, the world, you overcome the world. I'm going to explain what that is here in just a minute. But he talks about faith. Last week, we talked about how we can live with love, but it's fear that would try and hold us back. But we can overcome fear with love. This week, John is saying, look, I want you to recognize there's a faith that you can grow in. I want you to grow and expand your faith. And, and what does that look like? And, and how do we do that? You see, this faith that he's talking about is not simply a religious system. This faith in the Greek is pistis. That's what it means. It means to have a conviction so strong you can't help but act. I've got a conviction so strong. He says, it's your faith that's going to help you navigate this. It's your faith that's going to help you overcome this. It's your faith that's going to help you. And I have a conviction so strong, I can't help but act out on it. I can't help but operate. I can't help but lean in and know that he's going to help me overcome. It's so deep. It's relational. What ends up happening is actually, this is the type of faith that binds you, draws you, connects you. To the one that you believe in. This is where belief in Jesus comes from. This is how it's so, this is how it's strengthened. And this is where you recognize and learn. Because you see people. You ever seen someone? Man, they just have such a strong faith. It's like they don't, they're not wavered. That They're living this out. This is what it looks like. But he says something unique. He says you haven't just overcome challenges. He says you've overcome the world. What does that mean? Overcome the world. Well, John uses this phrase like 16 times within his text. And, and maybe you've heard this, world, this word before, like the world. And it can sound a little churchy. Maybe you grew up in a context I know I did. You're like, hey, where's old Billy at? Well, he's just off in the world. He just fell back into the world. He's in the, I'm like, in the world? Like, 
is that a place? Like, do we go there? Like, do I, is there a toll road? I live in DFW. There's toll roads everywhere. How, how do I get? Do I need a ticket? Do I need an RSVP? They're in the world. What does that mean? So it can sound a little churchy, and we don't understand. We've even heard, maybe you've heard people use that phrase, that context. Oh, they're just, you, I heard that a lot personally. Like, son, you need to stop being in the world. I was in. Well, what does that mean? Well, here's what it means to be in the world. What's he talking about? Because I want you to understand something. What they're really saying, what he's saying is, look, there should be a contrast. The Bible says light and darkness can't abide. There should be a contrast in your life when you're growing in your relationship with Jesus that people, when your friend, do your friends, are they able to see you and they know something different about you that helps them see that person has a relationship with Jesus? What John is saying is, if not, then you're in the world. You're not just, you're, you're, you're in it, you're of it. You don't look any different. There should be, so John is also laying down some groundwork here. It's, it's actually some strong language going, hey, do people see a difference between you and everybody else? That's convicting. It's challenging. Because if the answer is no, well then, okay, well, how come? How come? Well, why is that happening? Well, here's what the world is. The world is a hostile belief system filled with sin and ungodly culture under the control of the evil one. You see, there may be some things in your life that God may be tolerating, but that he's not pleased with. There could be some things in your life that God's been trying, the Holy Spirit has been trying to speak to you. And he's tolerating it. This has not necessarily a bearing on your eternity if you've accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. But just because God tolerates it doesn't mean, one, he's pleased with it, and two, there won't be consequences for it. That's where the Lord begins to speak. That's what John's talking about here. Now, remember, where are we going? It's living an overcoming life. So that's why John is referencing this. I know you're looking at me like, golly, Pastor Craig, he's going like old school. Like, is this a little fire and brimstone? I've never been in like a fire and brimstone. Is he getting, he getting a little strong? Now, I'm wanting to set the framework of what John is saying to help you live an overcoming life because that's what he has for us. That's what he's trying to communicate because that's what God has for us. So, so what does it mean? What, what is that? How does that look like? How do we know, like, the world? How do we identify that? Well, well really, when you look, John lays it out for us in 1 John 2.16. He says, For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, come not from the Father, but from the world. So right there, we see the three areas. What is characterized? What characterizes the world? It's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Those three things. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Okay, well, what does that mean? Well, what is lust of the flesh? Well, it's human desires. We live in a world that says, do what feels good. Don't do, don't do what's right. Don't do what you want. Do what, do what you want. What feels good to you? Just do that. It's self-centered. It's self-absorbed. But can I tell you, it, when we move that direction, the world says you can just pursue your desires without any consequence. We look at, at God's word. Look, the heart is wicked above everything else. The, the, there should be a differentiating understanding and a difference between by, the Bible lines out. Paul talks about the difference between spirit and flesh. So that's the dichotomy. That's the, the difference between the two. It's I'm going to do what I want, when I want, how I want. We all have a bend towards that. 
lust of the eyes? What are the things that I'm, I'm focused on? What are the things that I'm going, hey, this is the ultimate thing. Because what you focus on, you fixate over. What you focus on, you'll eventually get full of. What you focus on, you're going to move towards. It, it's just natural. It's natural. Harvard Medical Center. They did a test. It was called the Tetris test. Some of you old school Nintendo folk, you like Tetris. You're good at it. Now they got Candy Crush and all these other things. I've never gotten into that. But I tried Tetris here and there. This is what they did. They had people, they did a study, they had individuals play Tetris for three hours a day at a minimum for three days straight. Can I tell you what ended up happening? They did a test. They said when those individuals closed their eyes, they could see blocks everywhere. (laughs) That's all they could see. Why? Because there's like an imprint. See, what are you setting your focus on? You're going to become full of it. You wonder why you feel overwhelmed? Because you keep looking at that bank account and going, I got to hit this, I got to hit this, I got to hit this. You keep looking at that ladder of success. I got to hit this, I got to hit this. There's nothing wrong with having resources. Nothing wrong with climbing and growing. We should be growing. We should be effective. We should do all we do is under the Lord. So you should be the best employees, most resourced, most successful, most generous in all of DFW because you love Jesus. But when you're focused on, I got to have that, I got to have that, you become full of it. And when you become full of it, you get overwhelmed with it. You see, it's the motivator and the driver behind it. It's the lust of the eyes. The temptation is always to focus on the wrong thing. And then it's the sinful pride of life. The sinful pride of life. It it, it is that self-centered, self-absorbed, not just desires, but it's like it all revolves around me. It all revolves around me. And at the end of the day, when I live with pride, I'm essentially saying, I know better than God. I know better. I know how to, I can manage that. I can navigate that. And every time in my life, when I've looked back and I see these three things in my life and how I'm tempted to operate in them, it doesn't go well. When I look and see, oh, I think I know how to manage that, navigate that. I know better than God. There's always collateral damage in my life or in those I love. Why? Because the decisions you make don't just affect you. They affect everyone around you. They affect everyone around you. Make no mistake. You can't make decisions in a vacuum. You think, oh, it's not a big deal. It's just me. It's just me. You're wrong. You're wrong. And the enemy wants to come to steal, kill, and destroy. And so we recognize, here are those things. Okay, well, all right, Pastor Chris, I hear what you're saying. Now I have a better understanding of what the world is. Remember, why am I pointing these things out to you? The goal is for you to be able to see and navigate these things. The the objective is not just like, oh, let me help you see sin in your life. The objective is for you to see what are the things that are going to keep you from overcoming. It's going to be the lust of the flesh. I'm just going to, I want my desires. Live my own truth. What feels good? The lust of the eyes. What I'm focused on. And the sinful pride, that is going to keep me from overcoming. It's not, that's the objective, okay? I want you to recognize, we all want to overcome. If I'm like, who wants to live an overcoming life? You'd be like, yeah, yeah, okay. No, no one is going, nah, I want less of that. I like to just get trucked. Can I just get beat down? Just, boop, you know, just run over me, back up, run over me, run over me again. No one wants it. I want to overcome. I'm going to be Superman. That truck comes, you know, I just stop it. We all want that. 
But yet, if we don't realize what's keeping us from experiencing that, we won't be able to live that way. That's the objective. I want you to be able to see that. I mean, Jesus recognized, again, he said, I want you to be in the world, but not of the world. John writes in John 17, Jesus says that. So how do we do that? How do we interact then with the world? There's a book. There's a book written years ago. And that book was written by a man who, the book was called Christ in Culture. And uh, it was written by a man named Niebuhr, and he wrote, so what I'm going to share with you really originated with him. You can find it in the book, Christ and Culture. But here's how he said people interact with the world. How do we navigate that? How, how do we interact and relate to the world? Because I'm recognizing I want to live an overcoming life. I'm recognizing these aspects of the world are prevalent in everyday life. And with people you may be working with on a daily basis, how do I navigate this? Well, well, here's how you relate to the world. Here's how you engage in the world. And he gave three contexts. He said, first, people have the propensity to go, okay, it's Christ against culture. That's how we operate. It's Christ against culture. Well, what this would say is, you know what, I'm going to fight against it. I, I'm, I'm going to isolate myself, and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm only, we're only going to be around these. Now, I'm not talking about wisdom. I'm not talking about setting up boundaries. That's good. They, they, this didn't originate with, like, certain groups of people even to this day that you may know. It's like we're going to isolate ourselves and keep ourselves from the world. There was a community of people that did that before Jesus came onto the scene. So the thought is, okay, here's how Christ He's against culture. So then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come over here and I'm just going to hang out. It's our little holy huddle. And we're going to be protected and insulated from culture. Then one way of engaging is Christ in culture. Christ in culture. Which the danger of that is you really don't see a difference. It's what many would call syncretism. If you study uh, you know, anthropology or sociology, you'll understand and recognize that's one of the greatest dangers. In fact, you see how that transpired in other uh, countries when, when, when people were trying to uh, share the gospel. The danger and temptation is syncretism. Oh, just do what you're already doing. Just take and put, put Jesus on top of it. Just add that to what you're already doing. So it's Christ in culture. It's not changing or transforming me. I'm just allowing it to be part. But I think there's a better way. And that's what Niebuhr lines out. There is a better way, and it's this, Christ above or over culture. You see, I can live overcoming because do we live in dark times? Sure. Can it be hard and challenging? Absolutely. But can I tell you, when I talk to people, they're like, we're living in the darkest day. I'm like, go back and read some of the Old and New Testament. Some of the stuff they were doing in there, we haven't seen. I promise you, it was a lot darker then, okay? It was bad, Okay. But make no mistake, it is bad now. But can I tell you how I live an overcoming life? I know that at the end of the day, he's above it all. That changes my perspective. I don't have to isolate in fear. I don't have to be worried about, well, I just want to fit in. So how do I just take what I like and just put it together as a melting pot? No, no, no. God, you're above it. You dictate it. So there is a world I can be in it because I'm called to live here, but I don't have to be of it. There can be a difference, and I can overcome. So you say, all right, Pastor Chris, great. I have a good understanding of overcoming, of the world, how I engage, and how I should engage. Make it practical. I'm going to give you three things as we wrap up. Because at the end of the day, you're going, how do I do this? How do I live this out? As a Christian, you can overcome. As a Christian, you can navigate being overwhelmed in a godly way. And here's how. First is this. Here's how you overcome. 
We see ourselves the way God sees us. We see ourselves the way God sees us. What does he say about you? Who does he say you are? See, so often we don't see ourselves correctly. I was meeting with a gentleman, this pastor, great leader, great man, loves his family, loves God, great husband, great father. And he's talking to me about it. He's like, man, I've just been hedging on leading a group. Because I think about and he was getting emotional about it. He's like, I think about all that I've done. Now, he's been serving the Lord for, for quite a while now. Yet even at this stage of his life and his walk with Christ, still feeling the emotion of like, but the stuff I've done. And I said, you are not a clean version of your dirty old self. You're a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. You have to, you, the, his biggest problem was you're not seeing yourself right. Yeah, I feel guilty for what I did. But what the enemy wants to do is double down and he wants you to feel shame because now shame means that what you did is who you are. That is not who you are. And I love God's promise. John lines it out and he says this. 1 John 3.20. If our hearts condemn us. That's what was happening to this individual. His heart was condemning him. It says this. We know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. I was like, who put on your heart to lead a group? The devil? Well, no. I mean, my wife kind of told me I should. Well, that, <laughs> it's probably the Holy Spirit using your life because that's what happens to me a lot, you know. What does God's voice sound like? Sound a lot like Wendy. I tell you what, you know. <laughs> I know it's you, God, but you sure using that gift you gave me to help me see and know. It wasn't the debt. It wasn't like you just felt like, oh, I just feel like putting another thing on my calendar. I felt like, no. It was God. But yet, what was the enemy doing? Even in himself, his heart was condemning him. But yet, God is greater than our hearts. He knows everything. He knows it. You can overcome because you see yourself the way God sees you. I shared this with you last week, and I tell it to people all the time. I used to tell it to young people all the time. I'm like, more and more and more, I'm just around people in general. All ages, experiences, we all need it. I need it. Stop a minute. Take one week. And every morning, stop and say, God, who do you say I am? And just listen. What's the first thing that comes to your mind? Write it down even. Type it in your phone. Now, you're going to think like, well, I heard chosen or daughter or precious, powerful, strong, you know. Like, that's just me. Maybe so. But who do you think put that in there? Who do you think spoke that to your heart? You see, stop a minute. Who does God say you are? And when you recognize who he says you are, can I tell you something? You're going to live an overcoming life. Here's the second thing. Second thing is that we grow in our faith. We grow in our faith. That word, you know, originates really in, in and I shared with you the Greek, that, that pistis of what it means to have, have action that's tied to it. It's also tied to another Greek word called Nike, which when you look at it, it's spelled N-I-K-E. So it's not Nike, it's actually Nike is how you say it. But that word means victory, triumph, which is probably why they chose the word. You can live in victory. And when you look at, okay, what is faith and, and how do I get there and why does it matter? Well, first and foremost, you look and, and what is faith? I mean, when you read the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 11.1, 1, it says, faith is the evidence of things unseen, things hoped for, the conviction. I stand on those things. But, but why is this important? Hebrews 11.6 says this, and without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him 
You, you may not see it, but what's happening is you're going, I know I have the victory. You hear me say it all the time. God's doing 10,000 things on your behalf, and you may be aware of three of them. He's working and moving even when you don't see it. God, I don't know what's going on, but I'm going to navigate this situation. I'm going to overcome in this challenge and in this season because I know I have the victory in you. And I may see it today. I may see it tomorrow. I may see it a year from now. But nevertheless, I'm going to trust in you because you're good and you're faithful. You're good and you're faithful. Romans 10, 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of God. See, how do you get faith? Hearing the word of God. How often are you, are you reading your, and you may go, well, I don't know, I mean, I got to get out the door. I got a, uh, an hour commute, which is common for many people. You're like, man, I'm driving, I'm in the car. Put on the Bible app, listen to God's word, get it in your spirit. Faith come by hearing, hearing by the word. You can't Amazon faith. You can't prime delivery. There's no drones going to come drop it off at your house in an hour once you order it. You have got to develop it, and it only comes by hearing God's word. And then you act out on it. And what happens when that happens? Well, Romans 1.17 says, For in the righteousness of God it is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, But the righteous man shall live by faith. We can all grow in our faith. I can, can I tell you, I can grow in my faith. I need it. Because it doesn't matter. It's all relative. Whether you are taking, I have friends, they're, they're, they're taking their, their oldest child, their first child off to college. And they're like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? You know, it's like mind blowing, right? Whether you're taking your child to college or your child's going to kindergarten, can I tell you, it's all relative. You're like, oh, my gosh, my kid's going to kindergarten. What's going to happen? You know, it's like you're overwhelmed, right? It's like, I've never been here. But then they go to middle school. Then they go to high school. Then they start driving. Then they go, I mean, it's all relative. We can all feel those things. We all can grow in our faith. And when we do, we overcome. And here's the third thing. And this is the most important. How do we live an overcoming life? We lean into the power of the Holy Spirit. This is hard. It's hard for me. Because... Every single one of us from the very beginning, we've been taught, work as hard as you can, make it happen, because if you don't do it, no one's going to do it for you. That's been ingrained in us. And if you, any of you at any given level, then have experienced some level of dysfunction in your home, some measure of, of being neglected, some aspect of having to survive to make it happen, that's only pull, poured more fuel on that fire. So this actually becomes hard because this isn't intuitive to us. This actually goes against everything that's essentially helped us get to where we're at today. I've got to lean into the Holy Spirit. I need his help to overcome. I need to recognize where he makes up the difference. Remember what it said in 1 John 4, 4. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Who is the he? You know what most people say? Jesus. No. It's the Holy Spirit. That's who he's talking about. Jesus is going to be with the Father. Jesus said, I go so that you can have something greater. That's how Jesus views the Holy Spirit. Yes, Jesus died on the cross for our sin. We have salvation only through the finished work on the cross of what Jesus did. But the overcoming power that I have to live out every single day is the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. It's not, that is what he's talking about. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And this is what I love. Here's his promise, 1 John 2.20. But you have an anointing from the Holy One. 
all of you know the truth. You see, there was a group of people who was going, oh, you have to do this certain thing, and you have to go to this certain group of people, or you have to go. No, 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 no. People are like, Pastor Chris, can you pray? And I appreciate that. I mean, I play the role. I am your pastor, so I recognize the role that I play. But the same Jesus that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. You have the ability to pray that way. You have, that's what goes back to even being small group leaders. That's what I love. You're the hero. But it's not you. It's the Holy Spirit working in you. So it's recognizing, I love that scripture because what he's saying is you're anointed to face challenges. You're anointed to have truth and the truth that comes from God to help solve every single problem you may experience in business, in life, in marriage, uh, in parenting, uh, in navigating next seasons, in, in upward mobility, in changing and transitioning jobs, whatever it is that you may be facing. John's saying you're anointed by the Holy Spirit to navigate those challenges.